Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. Nick Pollock could not be here tonight. He's busy uh, teaching you know, young men in the state of Virginia how to play the game of baseball. So we decided we had to go out and get ourselves a special guest. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a truncated episode, but we, uh, we got something a little special for y'all. We went out and we got Bill Connolly, writer for SB Nation, uh, the mad genius behind S&P Plus, which you hear Nick and I talk about all the time. You can find that on Football Outsiders and on SB Nation and the author of Study Hall College Football, its stats, and its stories, along with his recent book that came out in March, The 50 Best College Football Teams of All Time. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Connolly. Bill, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you uh, for hopping on here. We, uh, I-, I think it's good to get a good and different perspective every once in a while. I mean, Nick and I, uh, and really everyone on our site, we're always consumed by Penn State as Penn State fans or as people who write about Penn State on the internet and follow it on Twitter and are just around the program every now and then. I think getting a uh, rather unbiased opinion on things from someone who looks at the sport from a very analytical perspective is something that could be really, uh, really useful, uh, especially you know now that Penn State is, uh, there are some expectations to it and not just it's going to win seven, eight, nine games and then hopefully... Uh, and hopefully go to the Outback Bowl and not lose too badly <laughs> to uh, to an SEC team. So, yeah, uh, thanks for being on. And let, you know, let's just dive right in. Like at this point of the year, S and P Plus it still has some preseason projections folded in. Uh, but for a team like Penn State, you know, it's played five games, uh, one all five of them, whatever. Do you think we could say with some level of certainty when you look at the numbers what they are right now? Yeah, I mean, at this point, once you've played four or five games, we're getting a pretty good idea. Basically, the way I always operate uh, the preseason projections is that they're phased out by about seven after about seven games. <clears throat> so, um, that, so that's kind of weird this year because we had some teams miss multiple weeks. You know, Florida State, UCF, Miami have all only played three, and so for uh, Florida State, they're still very high in my rankings because it's still. Uh, what is it like 65 or something percent uh, preseason projections because we just don't have enough yeah. data for that for Penn State I think it's like 35 percent right now and so most of what we see is the actual performance on the field and so it's been funny like I watching people react to the word preseason projections I think we're just so uh, naturally conditioned to hate the preseason polls that it rubs off on right. here but I will say I mean they are they are intended to be well-founded and good evidence. They've done well against Vegas. Like they're pretty, (laughs) it seems like they're pretty good projections, but yeah, you know, at this point they, they're mostly phased out when it comes to Penn state. Yeah. I mean, I, I can imagine that if you're a college football fan, you're conditioned that, you know, a team loses a team like Florida state is one and two. They shouldn't be anywhere near the top 25 and you know, they're in at number six, but there, there are reasons for that. It's not just, uh, it, you, you know, it's not just that you're a secret Florida State fan or anything like that, which I'm, yeah, I don't think, I'm sure I don't think, you've gotten that a time or two. Yeah, no, I don't think Noel fans would accuse me of that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they're, they are, they slid a little bit last week. They'll probably slide a little bit more until we find out kind of where they're supposed to be. Uh, but what, yeah, what having them at sixth right now is just saying is we don't know enough about this year's team yet. Right. And Penn State. Uh, coming in at number eight, uh, offensive S&P Plus is 11th. Defensive S&P Plus is 12th. Uh, special teams is 86th, but we'll, uh, we'll leave uh, special teams. And really, for the most part, defense, uh, we, we won't really talk about too many of those because recently, when you hear Penn State, you're thinking it's going to be that big play offense. It's going to be they're throwing the ball down the field. Uh, but you wrote something in uh, the numerical 
that kind of addresses the way Penn State has approached offense this year and how if you came into this year thinking, you know, they're just going to hit home run after home run and home run, it's a little bit different, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. No, I mean, that's the, the, the single best predictor uh, among any stat that I mess with uh, is success rate. That's the one that's most likely to be steady. Even if you're very good at big plays, you don't really have a ton of control over when they come there. It's going to be pretty haphazard. Uh, it's going to be relatively random. You're going to have hot streaks and cold streaks. Uh, Penn State last year, I mean, they got a lot of their cold streaks out of the way against Michigan, I guess. But even yeah. at like Penn State or Ohio State, there were some games in there where things just didn't really click all that well. And then somewhere they could not be stopped by you know an NFL defense so what we're seeing this year so last year they were 80th in success rate uh, unadjusted for opponent 80th for in success rate and second in my isolated points per play which is my explosiveness measure it measures the the successful plays only basically uh, this year so 80th and second this year they're 18th in success rate and 33rd in that isolated points per play and so what what that basically means is uh they are less streaky they are less explosive there are fewer big plays but there are more five yard gains there are fewer lo- uh, lost yardage plays and so they are more consistent if slightly less uh, ridiculously entertaining team uh, overall and meanwhile the offense or the defense excuse me last year was 36th in success rate this year the 13th so far yeah, so Penn State has almost gone from being, you know, one of those, uh, you know, powerful, powerful sluggers who they're going to strike out a fair amount to, uh, we'll say like a 300 hitter who hits for power every now and then. Is that kind right, of right? A good doubles hitter, good yeah. doubles hitter, 300 hitter. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with. Um, some combination of them anticipating what defenses were going to do to Moorhead the second year around, uh, and then the actual adjustments themselves forcing Penn State to do some other things. But they've, uh, James Franklin's staffs or uh, teams are pretty good at anticipating things that are coming their way, I think. And, and so they seem to be a little bit prepared. You saw against like Pitt seemed to really confuse McSorley a little bit, slow him down. It seemed like he had to kind of think about what he was doing, check down a lot, go to his second option a lot. Uh, and and they were that was only an okay game for the offense, but they are doing well enough on defense. They're doing well, uh, very well in special teams. Uh, anything wrong with their special teams ranking right now is mostly because of the place-kicking issues. Uh, their punting's great. <laughs> uh, oh, it's yeah, and their field position game is great. And so uh, they're able to do the kind of the old school what te- things that uh, more talented teams are supposed to do the, to their opponents and uh, tilt the field, play efficient ball, force three and outs, uh, and and eventually you know, it doesn't feel like you're playing all that well and suddenly you're up 21 points. Interesting. So if uh, you know a fan is a little bit concerned, and we'll get to this in the next question, but if they're a little bit concerned about the offense, you know, it's not as dynamic this year. It's not – like you said, like the home run hitting offense. Uh, it almost sounds like, as you're saying it, that's kind of a positive because they've almost rounded out their game a little bit more. Right. The efficiency part. I mean, it, it wouldn't hurt if they were still the second most explosive right, team. Like right. that would, There'd be no complaints there. But the efficiency part is huge because that is the is easily the most you know, like I said, the most sustainable method for success, yeah, relying on big plays like Penn State did last year. It's not supposed to happen. Penn State was a fascinating team to me last year because it just didn't make a whole lot of sense that they were able to do what they could do. But they have, I think, some combination of their own adjustments and what opponents have done. Uh, they've rounded into this more uh, efficient core. And and again, I love the big plays. That's why I put that in the numerical each week. But, you know, I think they would trade off a bunch of easy wins. I mean, the Iowa game being the exception. Right. Uh, 
bunch of easy wins as compared to a bunch of big plays. Right, right, for sure. Uh, so some of the concerns that I've heard, and again, this is 100% anecdotal. Uh, there could be another Penn State fan who has heard different things, another Penn State fan who hasn't heard anything at all. But, you know, uh, the offense isn't as good this year. Uh, there's a ceiling on this team because uh, because of Trace McSorley for whatever reason. This is a seven or eight win team if it doesn't have Saquon Barkley. You know, all that stuff that uh, I think you hear with teams that have expectations and uh, aren't winning with two you know, they're winning, but they're not like winning a hundred to nothing every game. Speculation, you know, it's always dangerous, but are there numbers that back those concerns up anyway? And on the other end, uh, is there anything that refutes that maybe aside from uh, the success rate since we've, you know, touched on that? Well, the whole, if they didn't have Saquon thing, yeah, if they, if they didn't have Saquon, they probably wouldn't right. be a national title contender right now, but they have Saquon. So they are a national title contender right now. I mean, there's, <laughs> if he gets hurt, then that's a different issue, but he's incredible and they're riding him a little bit. I, I, I do think it's kind of interesting. I think they know what they've got here. And so they've simplified to a certain degree, the, the distribution of carries, like you look at last year's distribution of carries, uh, Saquon had 272. Um, let's see. Oh, actually, never mind. It's about the same. I was going to say, it seems like it's a little less balanced this year. It really isn't. It's 86 carries for Saquon, eight for Robinson, six for Sanders, two for Allen and one for Nick Yuri. Um, that's, that's one guy. <laughs> yeah, that's he, a one man yeah. offense right there, obviously. And again, if he gets hurt, then, you know, you might be, uh, you know, th- there might be some trouble there, but I think Penn state understand what it's got right now and understands that if they don't ride Saquon, they're not a national title contender. So you might as well uh, until you see what happens. I will say, I mean, as far as the passing game goes now, you know, Deshaun Hamilton is the number one guy this year as compared to Godwin. His numbers uh, compared to Godwin's last year are, all, are, are almost literally identical. Um, last year, Godwin had 99 targets, 59 catches, 982 yards. That was 9.9 yards per target. Uh, right now, um, let's say, for instance, the Penn State were to play 15 games. That's, you know, we'll see. But if they, if yeah, they play 15 games. Um, Deshaun Hamilton's final numbers at the current pace would be 90 targets, 60 catches, 993 yards, uh, and 12 touchdowns, almost literally identical to what Godwin's doing, uh, did last year. The per target numbers are almost the same. The big difference this year, and I'm a little, I don't know if I'm concerned or curious or what, uh, Mike Kosicki hasn't really been involved all that much. Uh, obviously in the red zone, he still has been, he still has the four touchdowns. Uh, but it, you know, he's, he's caught 20 of 26 passes only for 167 yards. That's 6.4 per target last year is in 9.6. So I don't know if they're, t- if they're just kind of keeping him in bubble wrap, uh, for, for later or whatever the situation is or that or teams are taking them away better. Um, but that is a, that's kind of one of the surprises here. I didn't expect his numbers to go down like that. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's my favorite type of, of tight end, the big lanky guy who they can kind of just post up on the sidelines sometimes. Uh, but they haven't used him as much as I thought or is in the way that I would have thought. Interesting. Yeah. Like my favorite thing, like my favorite thing on earth is people going, Oh, well, they'd be worse without Saquon Barkley. Do you know how many football yeah. teams if Saquon Barkley was on them would be worse? Like, everyone except for probably, like, Alabama and uh, Clemson because they're just, like, rolling death machines. But no, like, I kind of get yeah. – we always think of things in terms of kind of like the, you know, almost like they're a pro team where we don't want to run him into the ground this year. We, you know, he'll his career will end sooner down the line or whatever. I think they just realize that we've got X games left with – 
with Saquon Barkley, and he could win the Heisman, and we are title contenders until proven otherwise. So let's ride this, and let's right. let's see what happens. And then there are the other things, like you know, if you have a Heisman Trophy winner, it's easier to get like go to high school kids who are really good and say like, hey, guess what? We had a Heisman Trophy winner. We right. can do that. We yeah. yeah. And I wanna I wanna say a sentence to you that I've heard someone say. And I want to get your thoughts on it just really quickly because mentioning the passing game is something that is interesting. Uh, it's throws down the field where McSorley has struggled far more than he did last year. And it's gotten to the point where it's worth wondering if Tommy Stevens would be an improvement. It, like, is nope. there any merit to that? Or is that just nope. one of those, hey, the backup nope. quarterback is always the most popular guy on campus thing? The, the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy on campus. Okay. I mean, uh, you know, come on. Uh, yeah, Trace McSorley, okay, so his numbers, again, last year he was averaging 8.4 yards per attempt, uh, about almost 4 to 1 interception ratio. This year he is at 7.7 yards per attempt with, about, with a 3 to 1 uh, ratio. But... Last year, he was at 58% completion. This year, is at 66% completion. And I think this goes back to the same idea. Last year, they, they are less explosive and a little bit more steady uh, than they were uh, a year ago. Plus, I mean, Tommy Stevens, I mean, I, I, I've enjoyed when they put him in the game and he gets to, he shows <laughs> that he's not some stiff, uh, you know, pocket guy only kind of guy. But McSorley's uh, the, the second best running back on the team or the second most useful running back, used running back on the team. Um, and he's able to... Uh, no, Trace McSorley is very good. That's really I, I can I can say another few words. Trace McSorley is very good. Uh, he's <laughs> taking what is given to him. He hasn't forced a lot. I think at least what he has four picks, and I think I, I don't remember all four. Uh, I haven't seen every play, but I, I at least two of them were kind of the he was getting hit kind of variety. He's not making a lot of mistakes. Uh, he's throwing passes down the down the sideline where only his guy can get it, and they've fallen incomplete. So what? Uh, efficient offense, steady offense, m- not very many mistakes, not nearly as many as last year. Those are good things. Yeah. And this pop, like just, you know, and this is probably me looking for reason to be concerned because I'm a fan, but like his pocket presence may not be as great this year, but whatever, like it's Penn state's five and zero. like you've mentioned, he's played pretty well this year. Uh, they're going to win the big 10. They're going to win the national title, all that fan stuff. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> They are they are a contender. Yes. Yeah, you you seemed very uh very convinced by my argument there. So uh, let's move on for a sec because there was something that I found kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I'm I'm one of those people who I'm smashing refresh on Mondays, waiting for the uh, advanced st- statistical profile to get updated. Uh, and it was that you know Penn State last week, forty five to fourteen. They by the score it looked like they rolled over Indiana. But the adjusted scoring margin for that game was 3.0. Penn State's win expectancy was 63%. Uh, The performance percentiles were good, but not like outstanding. So what does it tell us when the adjusted scoring margin in a 31-point win is three points? So I was talking about big plays being random. Uh, so our kick return touchdowns. So our fumbles. So so our fumbles that bounce into another guy's hands and get returned for a touchdown. Uh, and so basically, this this is a weird game in that it got defined very very early. Penn State got the two return scores. Um, did a couple of you know got another fumble. Uh, you know on Indiana's whatever that was first or second play. Um, and suddenly they were up twenty one points, and then they were up twenty eight points, and. Did, did almost nothing after that. You know, it took, well, I mean, for a while anyway, lots of punts in that second quarter. That was a very uninteresting second quarter. And so basically, 
you know, you look at the success rate, that's obviously a big driver of the win expectancy and everything else. Penn State was at 42%, Indiana was at 37%. that you know th- that kind of defines the game outside of those random plays it, it basically says that both these two teams were reasonably equally successful to each other um but it was a weird it was a very very weird game the, the enormous field position advantage both because of special teams and turnovers and everything else um that tilted the field that completely defined the game and so when it says Penn State had a win expectancy of only 63% that basically means toss all these um plays into the air, toss the the turnovers into the air, let them bounce a different way. Penn State doesn't go up 28 nothing because of ter- because of return touchdowns. Uh Indiana doesn't Indiana had big plays on like five of their first six snaps or something something like that. Uh in in in, in a different universe that one of those goes for a touchdown and maybe Penn State doesn't return the opening kickoff for a touchdown and Indiana's up seven nothing and then the game gets, you know, the game state changes, blah 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 blah. They won. <laughs> they won and Indiana's not a bad team. Yes, but the bottom line is this was a very strange game defined by turnovers and returns, and not necessarily by Penn State being amazing on offense. Yeah, there's one stat that like I just find hilarious, which uh, in the last two Penn State and Indiana games, Indiana has fumbled eight times, and Penn State has recovered every one of those punts, which is just yeah, like, uh, fumbles, yeah, which is just like. That's that, hard to do. Yeah, that's like an anomaly. But yeah, so to be clear, and I want to get this out there. It's not necessarily after that Indiana game. Penn State is was bad, and this might be a reason to be super concerned going forward. Or, oh, look, they're the fake good team that huh. pops every year or two. It's just, you know, this was a very weird game where a bunch of weird things happen, and Penn State was able to take advantage of it. Right, exactly. Like I said, game state is important here. The that that win expectancy number doesn't look at that. It's not it's not designed to look at that. But yeah, I mean, if you're handed two touchdowns and then you maybe get a little more conservative, maybe don't take as many chances, um, you know, then it's going to reflect in your stats. But it also is reflecting in the fact that you're up four touchdowns and uh, then you're up with three and then you're up two and you're never, I don't think they ever got within less than 14 points. If I remember right. Uh, no, they, they couldn't have because it was 28, 14 and then they stopped scoring. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, if you're, this is a, a great kind of game. If you're, a team planning on making a run because James Franklin could be very disappointed about like nine different things. The least of which feel uh, place kicking kind of important. Um, and the mistakes and the sacks and all these things. And you are never seriously challenged for even a second. Yeah. I believe, uh, it was announced today that Penn state's making a holder change. So hopefully, uh, okay. okay. Hopefully that's well, they, they have a new snapper and a new holder this year. And I think, uh, there've been some indications that maybe some of the snaps and holes haven't been great, but whatever. I mean, that's something to address a little bit farther down the line right now. I think Penn state, uh, just based on you know watching uh, these teams play, based on looking over the stats, all that stuff, I think Penn State loses to Ohio State. Uh, I think anyone going into Columbus uh, when you don't have someone who is as absurdly cocky and confident as Baker Mayfield is very difficult. And I think that Michigan's going to give them hell. Uh, it's going to be really close. When I think Penn State could win it, but you know there's a bunch of bunch of things that concern me in that one. If Penn State loses both of those games, yeah. Why do they lose those? And if they win, which I would assume uh, you would agree means they're going to the Big Ten Championship, probably. It would be very hard not to yes. at that point. Yeah. Oh, come on. Tell me you're not afraid of Rutgers. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, <laughs> Why do they win right, those so, games? Yeah. 
All right. So, well, first of all, I mean, the Northwestern game, I know they're kind of, I know James Franklin's never beaten Northwestern. I'm pretty sure I saw that. And I think they're a little, uh, so I don't think they're overlooking anything. And that's going to be a weird game. I think Northwestern's playing much better than they did a month ago. But yeah, assuming they beat Northwestern, they get their bye week and then it's a two game season. Um, Not to say anything ill of Michigan State or Nebraska or Maryland or no, no, you say, say whatever you want to say about Rutgers. Like, go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, if they if they beat Michigan and Ohio State, it would take a letdown. Let's put it that way. But anyway, so if they lose those games, I mean, Michigan, we know what Michigan is. Michigan, uh, is is for whatever reason like the worst first down offense in the country, uh, and otherwise they're a great team. Like they they average like one yard per play on on first downs in the red zone, or they were before their last game. Something ridiculous. Um, they they are they have not figured themselves out. Everybody's talking about Wilton Spate, uh, but it's really. I mean, they're they're trying to establish the run to help him out, and it's just not really. It's kind of like Penn State last year, in a sense, in that you know there there are no five yard runs. There's there are one yard runs, and there are fifty yard runs, um, and there aren't enough fifty yard runs to to balance out the 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 damage it's doing. But regardless, if you lose to Michigan, you kind of know how uh, they confused McSorley. They were able to hem in uh, Saquon to a degree that nobody else could. They were able to win the turnover. I think the turnover battle will be very, very important in that game because Michigan probably is going to be a lot of passing downs, and if Penn State can take advantage of that, then they're then they're in good shape. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not hard to see how you lose to a team like like Michigan because Michigan's very good despite their offense. Um, and then Ohio State, I mean, God, people rode off Ohio State. Uh, like they did in 2014, they got they got they got waxed at home, um, and they clearly didn't have their offense figured out. They've since they've feasted on lesser teams, like they like they tend to do, especially like they did in 2014. But they are a very very good football team. Um, it, it's not hard to lose at Ohio State. Um, I, you know, right now what Ohio State's doing very good. They're still a very, very efficient team. Very few teams can force them into their weakness of, of really trying to test the outside test vertical passing and whatnot. Uh, I think Penn State's uh, so far, I mean, I like what I've seen from Penn State's run defense, so maybe they can uh, force them into those passing situations, but this is going to be a, a, an ugly game. Ohio State prevents big plays. They're, they're going to force you to be patient. I like what I've seen from Penn State in that regard, but I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, they're just they're a very good team, and, and it's hard to lose uh, in Columbus, even though they've already done it this year. So, I, you know, to your, to circling back, though, any team that has Saquon Barkley on it has a chance to win every game it plays. So, um you know they're gonna still they're gonna have a fighting right. chance at these. Interesting. All right. Awesome. So uh, you heard here, Bill Conway says that because Penn State is Saquon Barkley, they're going to win both games, win the Big Ten, and there go fifteen and zero this season. You could, uh, if you have a friend in Vegas, want to put some money on that. Sure. So, last question: Through five games, what is this team's ceiling? I mean. It's it's the national title. I, I, I'm, okay. you know, I'm not going to say they have better odds than Alabama or Ohio, well, even Ohio State, I think, uh, or Clemson or whatever. But it's clear what they can do. Uh, and I, I've been saying on podcast, they played nobody for the last few weeks. The, the matchup I want to see in the playoff is Alabama versus Penn State because Penn State will challenge. Alabama yep. basically says, if you're going to beat us, it's going to ha- it's going to be by making really tough throws down the sideline, you know, and or down the field, I should say, uh, and, and breaking off some big plays in the passing game and forcing them to, to kind of back off the line of scrimmage a little bit. And Penn state's, even though they haven't shown it as much this year, we know they can, uh, we know they would try to, 
And uh, it just that just sounds like a whole heck of a lot of fun to me. I, I'm never I never ever pick against Alabama, so I'm going to assume that Alabama would win that matchup. But I want to see it. I just want to see what Penn State would try to do to attack that off uh, that defense. Yeah, I, I vividly remember uh, a few a few episodes ago in the pod. You said Joe Moorhead's like the kind of play caller who w- would just scare the crap out of them. Like his the fact that he would he, he would basically go into that game with no. Well, he'd have some regard for Alabama's defense, obviously, but he wouldn't try and, like, let's be extra conservative. Let's do this. Let's uh, almost play scared to be like, no, let's just go out there and rip it and yep. see what happens. Like, that's that, that, that's certainly something that I think would uh, – when you hear that, it makes you want to see it, anyone against yeah. Alabama. And I think the fact that it's Penn State as the team as opposed to, you know, Ole Miss in the past couple of years is uh, <laughs> exactly what, uh, you know, the reason that the expectations are so high right now. So now all you have to do is not lose to Northwestern again. Um, yes, yes. I'd, not lose in Columbus. Uh, beat a Wisconsin team that ranks higher than UNSMP. And there you go. That's all you have to do. Yeah. Uh, it sounds, when you put it that way, it sounds really easy. So, Super. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is fun. Thank you. Bill Connolly, SB Nation. Uh, does about a million different things. All does all of them well. Thank you uh, for coming on to this edition of the podcast. I appreciate it. And yeah, as always, subscribe to us, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Overcast, all that fun, happy crap. RLR blog on Twitter, Roar Lions Roar on Facebook and Instagram. Storelionstore.com, buy yourself some shirts. They're very nice shirts. You should get one. And yeah, one last time, Bill, thanks for coming on. And I'm Bill DeFilippo. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio.